Hello and welcome to Hell No, a true crime podcast with your host, Lauren Lucio. Welcome back to the pod. This week, I am releasing the first part of a two-part episode. I'm sure some of you have heard this case before, but I have never heard it in this depth before. So researching it, um, I read a book. So a huge part of my research was reading the book by Alan Hall. Alan is a foreign correspondent and he has a very established career. I, I admire him greatly. The book he wrote on this case is called Monster and for a very good reason. Let me start off with a quote from Alan's book. Quote, Monsters live among us and wear human faces. This particular monster is named Joseph Fritzel. This monster imprisoned his victim and victims for over two decades, 24 years, and nobody knew what he was hiding. He dug out a secret lair underneath his home in Austria. And when the police finally found out about it in 2008 and made Joseph open all eight doors, I don't know if it's Joseph or Joseph. I'm going to say Joseph. When they made Joseph open all eight doors leading to the underground bunker, what they found inside still haunts them to this day. Not only did he abduct and repeatedly rape his captor for many, 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 many years. But he also had her give birth to seven children, three of which never, ever saw the light of day. They never felt the rain on their skin. They never took a single breath of fresh air until they were found, one of whom was 19 years old. Their skin was almost transparent from the complete lack of sun. I'm not saying they had a little sun. Never. They didn't even know what sunshine felt like. They had never seen it for themselves. This bunker smelled and festered with mold and humidity. It was a vile place to live. But who was the woman he held captive? This is what makes this case even more disgusting and evil. The woman who he held captive and made bear all these children to him was his own daughter. Let's start at the beginning. Who is Joseph Fritzel? And was he always a monster? Let's look at what built this man, what his values were, what he came from, how he came to be. What shaped this beast to allow him to appear like an upstanding citizen in public, a husband and father to his wife and children, who, by the way, lived upstairs, but all the while for over 20 years, keeping a deep, dark, disturbing secret locked behind eight doors in the earth. Joseph Fritzel was born in Austria, April 9th, 1935, to Mother Maria, and to a father of which I never found a name for, only that Maria and Joseph's father never married, and 
that he may or may not have been Maria's cousin. In the book, it just slightly touches on this. Maria had been married before, but her husband Carl died eight years before Joseph was born. Like I said, the book, it didn't really elaborate on this cousin loving thing. So I don't have any further information. It just said that Maria took a lover and it was her cousin. That's all we know. But perhaps Joseph knew that. And it could have had something to do with his incestuous, horrendous acts that he carries out later in life. Joseph's father drank a lot and he was a man of incredibly low morals. Maria sent him packing four years after Joseph was born and he never returned. It was a toxic and violent relationship, which I'm sure imprinted on, on young Joseph because he, he saw these acts of violence carried out between his mother and his father. Since Maria was from a very Catholic area, she was shunned for her bastard child and for being a single mother. Maria, she was an abusive mother, but in the way that it kept Joseph longing for her love, she would beat him ruthlessly. And when he would be taken from her care, he would escape and run back to her. To me, this sounds like a trademark abusive relationship. Perhaps in Joseph's mind, he thought he deserved it. And maybe he thought that it, it wasn't his mother's fault she beat him because he wasn't good enough or he wasn't doing what he should have been doing. He probably drew on his values and thought that he wasn't being obedient enough. And I will talk more about these values uh, right now. To make... To make future Joseph's values even more skewed and heartless was the fact that when he was almost three years old was when the Nazis came to Austria under Hitler's reign of terror. But to Joseph, the Nazis were the good guys, saving Austria. And he valued what they valued, control, discipline, obedience, he was brainwashed by the propaganda in kindergarten where words like subhuman were used to describe certain people. This is an incredibly dark time in history. And unfortunately, Joseph looked up to Nazis. He admired them. He liked what they stood for. He liked their values. He even liked their uniforms. Joseph Fritzl, he was a product of this time. He was a product of this brainwashing. But with that being said, so many people were subjected to this and didn't do what he did. So this is not an excuse for his actions in any way at all, but it is a look at how his values were created. It's a look at a monster in the making. From the age of four to 10, Joseph would have seen firsthand the terror of Hitler's ruling. If you have never seen movies like The Pianist or Schindler's List, then I recommend viewing those to see how horrific this time in history was. If you're not familiar with this time in history, it was very dark. Uh, it, it was unimaginably cruel and vile. I'm not going to get into the history of the Holocaust because... Well, that's a five-part episode on its own, but it was a very dark time for humanity. 
even though the Nazis' reign of terror was over by the time he was 10 years old, he still held these core values he was taught under their ruling. Those values, they never left him. And then topped with his abusive mother and absent father, he saw the world very differently from someone with compassion and empathy. He eventually ended up seeing women as objects to be used and controlled, and he really craved control. Joseph Fritzl did well academically, but socially he wasn't much for friends. He did uh, end up becoming an electrical engineer. He was a very smart man. But a man that smart and also that evil was a terrible combination. Had he not been evil, he could have accomplished a lot of good. Had he not been so smart, he wouldn't have been able to carry out his evil acts for so long without getting caught. In 1957, Joseph was 22 years old. He had a good job as an electrical engineer. He had met and married a woman named Rosemary, who was 17 years at the time, and the two lived in Linz, Austria. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Linz, L-I-N-Z. To Rosemary, this was a man that could provide, and to Joseph, this was a woman who could bear his children, cook his food, and clean his home. Most importantly, obey his wishes. I'm not sure if Joseph was capable of feeling love, so to me it sounds more like a business agreement. These were different times when women did not have equal opportunity to say the least, and Rosemary thought little of a career for herself. It was something that was out of reach. But meeting Joseph meant she could have a life more than she could provide on her own. Joseph was always making Rosemary feel less than human. I wonder where he learned that from. By constantly verbally abusing her and bullying her, calling her lazy, telling her she's fat, just constant insults. He was breaking her down into a submissive human who wouldn't dare talk back or defend herself. He was building control over her from the very beginning. In 1959, Joseph was brought to the attention of police for uh, what the book says was exhibitionism. (laughs) Yikes, okay. Joseph was caught hiding in the woods and flashing female hikers. So unsuspecting women would be walking through the woods and he would jump out or make a noise and, and make them look over. They would whatever however he did it and then he would get his penis out therefore making them look at it so this is very alarming behavior this is behavior of somebody who is going to escalate in these acts because once he's not getting a thrill from that he's going to move to something a bit more heavier This also shows us that he craved power over women and has zero respect for them. He probably doesn't even see them as humans. But what is most interesting about this is that earlier that same year, Joseph's beloved abuser died. His mother Maria passed away and he took it very badly. He mourned and was distraught over this and this is when the monster really started to become unchained. Brothel workers would later speak of Joseph as a client who viewed them as less than human and he treated them so. He he didn't hide this to them. This mask came off when he was around them and this is a pattern we see evolving in uh, Joseph's life towards women 
forever. It's just going to get worse. In 1967, the now 32-year-old Joseph was longing for more than exhibitionism. Surprise, surprise. And he was looking to up his thrill. One day, he attacked a 20-year-old woman and drug her into the woods and attempted to rape her. But miraculously and thankfully, she got away. Joseph, he wasn't satisfied and he tried again. He picked his next victim a month later by watching her home, knowing when her husband left for work, and knowing when she was alone. Eventually, he broke into this woman's home as she slept, and her husband was away at work, and he crept into her bed. Joseph then held a knife to her throat and threatened to kill her if she screamed. Then he brutally raped her. Joseph did not get away with this crime and was caught by police by a fingerprint and a palm print he had left at the scene, which I'm like, damn, okay, 1967 Austrian police. Good work. Really good work. Much later, another woman comes forward and says in the 1960s, a man in the late 1960s, a man came into her home as she slept, put a knife to her throat and told her he was going to kill her if she screamed and then raped her. But she was too embarrassed to report the incident to police. She is now sure, very sure, the man who raped her was Joseph. It fits his profile perfectly. And he would have been out of jail after serving only one year for the rape he was caught for. That's right. You heard me. One year for stalking a woman, for breaking into her house, for threatening her at knife point and then raping her. He gets one year. The judge didn't give him a harsher sentence because he called Joseph a man of good character, basing it on the fact he had, I think at that time he had four children with Rosemary, and at this time he was married and had no previous offenses that he was caught for. Those things don't make a man of good character, which they will see later very clearly. And also, did the judge not see the flashing thing? Was that not on his record? It's just, he was not a man of good character. This judge was very wrong. When Joseph was released from prison, he had to find a new job. And he actually left and went to Germany for a while because he was well known in his community for what he had done. Everybody knew that he raped a, a woman and people, they obviously they weren't happy about it. They were like, you're a rapist and that's what we're going to brand you forever. So he was like, okay, I'm going to go to Germany with my family. We're going to move to another country because I'm an asshole. Eventually, he returned back to Austria to get another job there doing engineering. And although his co-workers thought he had an explosive temper, they also knew he was somewhat of a genius. So Joseph's career, it's kind of hard to follow for me. It kind of goes all over the place. Like at one point, he was, I think it was in Germany, he was doing some type of sales job, which allowed him to like travel. Um, I'm not sure if he was doing like door-to-door -door sales, but most likely so. Uh, um, and police, they later on, they investigate where he was at that time and they try to link some unsolved rape cases to him through that 
I don't know where they landed with those investigations, but I know police were investigating that. And he also did work overseas. So he was going to like India and he was going to other places doing engineering work. Um, and he just seemed to be all over the place. Eventually, Joseph purchased a plot of land and he turned it into a holiday park. It was by a lake, Monseed, I think, Monseed. Uh, it did very well. Rosemary did all the cooking and her cooking was famous there. She cooked and she cleaned and she was the bookkeeper for the holiday park. And this even allowed her some time apart from Joseph as he would be back in Amstetten where the family home was. If I'm not pronouncing that right, let me know. But he would come around with the children when school was out. Joseph hid his past from everyone and nobody knew he was a convicted sex offender. Later, people will, people who attended this holiday park every year, they would say if they had known that, it would have significantly changed their relationship with Joseph. For one, they definitely wouldn't have let their children around him and they would have kept a close eye on him and they probably wouldn't have been as friendly to him. But he hid all of this and he had access to these people's children and wives and yuck. Joseph had also bought a guest house near the holiday park, and one day, it burned down. Upon an investigation, it seemed it was intentional. A gas bottle was left near a flame. Joseph was seriously looked at for this crime, but in the end, he got off the hook and built a new guest house where the old one stood, using the insurance money from the fire. So they couldn't prove that he did it. Um, I, they damn well sure proved it was arson. That was pretty cut and dry but they couldn't prove he did it and he got the insurance money and he rebuilt that guest house by this time joseph and rosemary had seven children one of whom was a girl named elizabeth joseph was very strict with all his children like very 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 strict but he had a habit of singling out elizabeth even though she was very well behaved. She was shy. She wasn't outspoken. She wasn't defiant. But for some reason, he had this obsession with Elizabeth. It was alleged in the book Monster that Joseph had been sexually abusing Elizabeth since she was 11 years old. He would purposefully create situations where he would be alone with her. He would send his other kids away on a vacation or something like that, and he wouldn't allow Elizabeth to go. He would have her stay home with him. School friends remember Elizabeth would always be checking her watch in fear that she would be late coming home past the time that her father allowed. It was clear that she was terrified of her father. Joseph isolated Elizabeth. He wouldn't allow her to have friends over. One time a friend came over and he said, get out. He wasn't like, oh, you know, no friends allowed, no visiting hours or whatever the fuck. He just was like, get out. And the friend was like, yikes, and left. He wouldn't allow her to go out with friends. He wouldn't allow her to go over to friends' homes. Friends say, Elizabeth used to say, I can't wait for the day I will be free from him. Little did she know how far away that day would be. Joseph was a terrible father. He never loved his children. He was a terrible husband as well. Uh, it seemed they were, his wife and his children, they were just things for him to control with fear. He was cold, abusive, and violent. But in public, he appeared to be the perfect citizen. 
Rosemary never dreamed to leave him in fear he would kill her or and or take the children. This man, his entire family, living in fear constantly because of him. There would be times when he would not be around, like the time he took off to Thailand, interested in the sex trade. He went on a holiday in Thailand. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm, okay. Or he would leave for work, uh, whether it was overseas or whether he was doing that traveling thing, whatever, whatever, he would leave for work sometimes. And in those moments of absence, his family would socialize with neighbors. They would be free. They would be happy. And as soon as he returned, a dark shadow would loom over them and all the socializing came to a halt and they were under extreme fear every single day he was there. Elizabeth finished school when she was 15 years old and she took on an apprenticeship in catering and waitressing in hopes to one day be able to live independently from her father, far away from her father. She did very well on this path, but co-workers noticed she was shy, but nobody suspected the abuse she was enduring at home. At age 16, Elizabeth had enough of the abuse and she tried to escape by running away to Vienna on January 28, 1983. She didn't go alone. She had a friend who agreed to go with her. The two lasted three weeks, essentially being homeless because they had no money to rent a room. One night they were invited to a party and they said, absolutely, because it's January. It's cold this time of year in Vienna. They're, they were sleeping in subway stations or wherever they could get away with sleeping. So they go to this party and they're hoping they can sleep on the couch or sleep on the floor. Either way, it'll be warm. They'll have a roof over them. You know, luxuries like that. They do start drinking. They get into the party. They're having some drinks. They fall asleep. A noise complaint is called on the party and when the police arrive, they need to know everyone in the home. And when they come across Elizabeth uh, and her friend, because they're IDing everybody, they find out they're only 16 and they take them back to the police station. The police call Joseph Fritzel to come and get them because Joseph, he had he had reported her missing to police. They were looking for her. Unknowingly, the police called and handed over a 16-year-old girl to her sexual abuser. Within those three weeks Elizabeth had run away, Joseph was frantically looking for her. He reported her missing to police. He went to the media and got a story put out about her missing. He was driving around trying to find her. And to someone looking at this who doesn't know the situation, you would think he's a concerned father. But in reality, he wasn't at all. He was actually trying to get back control and possession over his victim again. I can't even imagine the sinking feeling Elizabeth would have had in her stomach when police called her father. She would have been terrified. Why the police didn't ask her further questions, I don't know. Or maybe they did and they wouldn't believe her or maybe she was too scared to tell them, I don't know. But Joseph had Elizabeth once again. What we know for sure is that police had no idea what Joseph Fritzel was building in the ground under his family home since Elizabeth was 12 years old. Nobody knew but him. 
Where he got the 80,000 pounds to put this project together, I don't know. In US currency, that is $92,000. And this is in the late 70s, early 80s. So back then that would have been a fortune. That amount today, it's it's still a fortune. I don't know what that would be in today's money. Well over $100,000 for sure, maybe $200,000. I don't know, I didn't look that up. But it was reported that some of it was unknowingly funded by grants from the local council. He was doing very well at this point. He was making a ton of money on his real estate investments, his holiday park, his guest house. And at their at their family home, he made a bunch of different rooms where he would house tenants. I think he had over 40 or 50 different rooms. So he had a lot of, of tenants living there. And he also had his engineering career. And Joseph, he built everything in this underground hellhole himself because unfortunately he was a genius in engineering nobody knew anything about this dungeon and before it was finished it took him six years of building in secrecy I will talk more about the layout and construction of this soundproof cellar later on when Elizabeth was 17 years old she had the opportunity to move away for her apprentice waitressing work and she took it this allowed over 300 kilometers of space between her and her father. It was there that Elizabeth really started to come out of her shell um, and also out from under the thumb of Joseph. Elizabeth was partying and sneaking out at night and she was drinking and meeting up with boys and just having a wonderful, classic 17-year-old time. She was free from the tyranny of her father and it must have felt so good. Elizabeth even met a boy there who was an apprentice chef and they hit it off. Elizabeth and this boy started dating. She was prioritizing her freedoms and youth and experiences over her work. And hey, I don't blame her one bit. But unfortunately, her grades slipped and uh, they slipped a lot and she almost failed. But you know what? She's young. She's got goals. She's ambitious. She's smart. She can, she can fix that later, you know, just enjoy your freedom, Elizabeth. That's what I would have said to her if I knew her then. In July of 1984, when her apprentice course was finished, there was Joseph to take possession of Elizabeth and drag her to hell. Elizabeth was feeling hopeful of her future. She was almost 18 now. She planned to rent an apartment. She planned to keep going out and dancing and drinking and having fun with friends and making friends and living her best life with her boyfriend. But Joseph had other plans for her. Joseph very much disliked drinking. And although he was known to have one or two beers from time to time, he never let it rule him or take over like it did with his father. He could see Elizabeth was falling into a life he very much hated and couldn't control. And later on, he uses this as his twisted excuse as to why he did what he did. Elizabeth had written letters to friends talking about these plans and they were the words written by a hopeful teenager. She was telling them not to drink too much but in like a fun friendly way and she was describing her hair, how, how she had got it cut and she will 
and she was telling them that she's going to get her apart her own apartment and she's going to give them the address and when she moves in they can come visit and bring their friends and she ends one letter off by saying bye see you soon but soon never comes and they don't see their dear friend again for 24 years one month since her schooling ended and she is back at home alone with her father he asks her for help installing a heavy door in his bunker this bunker had been strictly off limits to everyone so for him to be asking her to do this was odd but she never asked questions when it came to joseph's order when the door is firmly in place and Elizabeth believes the task at hand is over, she tries to walk away, but suddenly a wet rag is forced over her mouth and nose. It smells terrible and strong, like some type of alcohol, and everything goes dark for her. The rag was saturated in a substance I'm not going to disclose here because I don't feel comfortable giving away that kind of knowledge and if used incorrectly can lead to death. I'm sure over the next 24 years, death probably sounded like sweet relief for Elizabeth and how she endured what she did for so long takes the strongest of will and it is a testament to how resilient she is. As far as the local council knew, and as far as permits went, and as, as far as his family knew, um, he was approved to build a bunker. And this bunker was in case of nuclear warfare, because at that time it, it was a real concern, and it wasn't uncommon for people to build bunkers with food and water and supplies in it in the event of an attack on the country. But he did lie about how large this bunker was. It was even inspected three times by council and fire department to ensure it was within code. One of these inspections happened in 1999, which means Elizabeth was in there. She was in this secret dungeon connected to this bunker and they had no idea. During all of these inspections, nobody noticed a bookshelf hiding a secret door which led to a tomb-like layout. Behind that bookshelf was a pathway that led to a full-on underground dwelling dug into the earth, which had things like electricity. The, the floor was tiled. There was a shower. There was a toilet. There was plumbing. There was a bedroom and even a deep freeze and a living room. There was storage space. There was a washing machine. Nobody would notice the electricity usage because Joseph wired it to his tenant's electricity bill. That's right. He had tenants living upstairs as well as his family. There were eight doors all locked leading down to this hellhole. Three of them needed a secret electronic code that only Joseph knew to enter which is terrifying these these weren't normal doors either he made these doors using his twisted mind these doors were heavy one weighed 500 kilograms and hold on let me see what that is in pounds whoa okay yep okay so 500 kilograms in pounds is 1102 pounds that's how much this one door weighed. Another one weighed 300 kilograms. And let me just check out what that is in pounds. Hold on. 661 pounds. These doors were 
massive. And they were thick, made of things like metal, reinforced with concrete. Nothing could escape this evil labyrinth. Nothing. Like, if you hid a fucking dragon down there, if dragons existed, if you hid a lion or a tiger or a bear, something so strong, it could never get out of this. They required custom-made keys and secret codes and weighed over a thousand pounds and were completely soundproof. I will post a picture of the layout on the Hell Knows Instagram. You can see what his permits allowed for, which was the entrance, an office room, because he said he worked down there, and a storage space. But the storage space held the bookshelf, which concealed the rest of it, the majority of this dungeon. And this bookshelf was on some type of like sliding, I don't know, but not pulleys, but like it was on some sort of sliding device. So it like slid back, revealed this door. Then you go in, then there's the 1,102 pound door made out of concrete and steel. And it was just like door, 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 door. I couldn't really see exactly where all eight doors were on the layout. And honestly, I, I don't need to know. Behind that bookshelf was a soundproof chamber. Then through another steel door was um, a storage room with a washing machine, probably where they kept all of the supplies um, that led into the first bedroom. The second bedroom would be dug out later when the children started arriving. From the first bedroom... There was then a small narrow hallway, which would make any claustrophobic person uneasy. It's making me uneasy right now. These hallways were only 60 centimeters wide. Maybe I can figure out something that's 60 centimeters wide to kind of give you a visual. Hold on, I'm just gonna go on the Google. So 60 centimeters is 23 inches. I'm just trying to figure out, I'm just trying to give you like a visual here. Okay, I went and got my measuring tape actually because this is it's just such a thin, narrow hallway. You can hear my measuring tape. It's such a thin, narrow hallway. Um, I just really want you to know this. I don't know why. But 60 centimeters is 1.9 feet. And I pull out my measuring tape. And when I take that measuring tape and I put it horizontally and I imagine walking through a corridor like that, if I even put my arms out a little bit, you're going to touch this side. So it's just narrow enough for a human body to get through. And depending on how big you are, it would be like you would be like touching the, the walls of it. Okay, here we go. Jackpot. So I typed into Google. I said, Google, <clears throat> what are things that are two feet tall? Because 60 centimeters is basically two feet. And on a um, website called measuringstuff.com, it brings me to an article that says seven things that are two feet tall. Number seven will surprise you. So I'm just going to go down this list for you. And remember, this is how wide this hallway is. Number one on the list a four-month-old baby is two feet tall. A desk or office lamp. Two subway subs. Okay, that's a, yep, okay, two subway subs. Um, and number seven, the one they say is will surprise us, is 24 hockey pucks. 
I'm beginning to think this is a Canadian site. Okay, um, yeah, so now we know, now I've given you a visual on how wide these hallways are. So if you carried, if you had a, a four-month-old baby in your arms and you carried it through this hallway, its head and feet would be touching the hallway walls. That's how narrow it is. And these hallways, they were encased in cement. The ceiling was so low, a grown man could not stand straight up. That hallway, and then from that hallway, it led into a kitchen slash bathroom slash living area, which had like a toilet, a kitchenette, and a shower. And I think a kitchen table as well and some chairs. This area was so small and there was such poor ventilation. So just taking a hot shower would make it all the more humid and claustrophobic and just unbearable to be in there for even a few minutes. Not only that, but what was more concerning was the lack of oxygen and the CO2 not being sucked out. Through another small narrow hallway off of that uh, kitchen bathroom area, um, there was another long hallway and then that eventually led to a second bedroom with one bed and later a TV. And the entire thing was windowless. There was no way to tell if it was day or night. There was no way to tell how many days had passed. There was no way to get a breath of fresh fucking air air in this hellhole. Later people would say how they saw Joseph move a lot more dirt from under the home than what could have possibly been accounted for uh, in regards to the permitted space, but nobody said anything. Who would have thought he was doing what he was doing? What was a really haunting image to me was that when building the underground prison to test the sound barrier, Joseph would use his son's heavy metal music when nobody was home and he would blare it in the dungeon while he went upstairs and walked around to see if any traces of sound could be heard, um, but nothing could escape the, the cement. He had it totally encased in cement and nobody could hear the heavy metal music playing from that earth tomb that he had created and in the book it says that he would go upstairs and pretend to be like fiddling with his garden and like looking at plants but what he was actually doing was listening if anybody could hear screams it was completely soundproof though Someone could scream and cry for their life and nobody would hear anything. He checked the garden above ground and no sound got through. He checked the home and no sound got through. It was completely soundproof and almost completely airtight. Only a small fan for exhaust that did not do its job well at all. I I don't know. I'm assuming it's to keep it soundproof, but the way that he made the ventilation piping was in a way that it like bent and twisted and was like not a straight line going out to air so air could properly flow in and out not at all it it was a bad job eventually elizabeth would suffer greatly with her breathing along with other physical ailments not to mention her mental health But how would Joseph explain to everyone the absence of Elizabeth, though? What plan did he have for that? So he spent six years building this hell dungeon prison under his home. He has finally captured Elizabeth and has her in this terrible, terrible place. 
But how is he going to explain her absence? Joseph concocts a story that Elizabeth has run away. And she had run away before, so why wouldn't she do it again? And that's exactly what police thought when she was reported missing. At first, everyone thought she ran away, and it was a few days later when a letter arrived, seemingly from Elizabeth, that they now thought she had joined a cult and wasn't ever coming back. So I'm not sure if he made Elizabeth write this letter or if he wrote it in her handwriting, but he dropped it off at the house and it was basically a letter from Elizabeth saying, I've run away, I've joined a cult, don't look for me. Elizabeth's close friends, they were not sold on this. I, they were not sold on this letter at all. They knew her plans for the future. They knew what she wanted. And more importantly, they knew she didn't associate with a cult. Also, just a thought, just a side thought of my own thought here is that those who get sucked into a cult often don't know it's a cult. Most cults are not called cults. And they tend to use words like community or they take a religious aspect or an artistic aspect or something like this. But they never say, hey, this is a cult. Do you want to join? That's not how cult works at all. Cults are usually disguised as something that seemed like a good idea. And honestly, when you read about their like, I guess their mission statement on paper, you're like, hell yeah, that does sound like a good idea. It's not. It's a cult, okay? No, just read something about cults. Get to know the signs because anyone can be sucked into a cult. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You can get sucked into a cult easily. But also her friends knew that she hadn't been hanging around people who were in a cult. So usually you have to kind of be associated with people and then they slowly kind of integrate you into their ideas. And before you know it, you've given them all your money and you don't have your freedom anymore. That's basically a cult. But her friends were like, she's not in a cult, okay? She's not in a cult. This letter doesn't make sense. Why would she even call it a cult? The whole thing just stunk. Eventually police had no choice but to stop looking because Elizabeth was 18 at this time. I, I believe she was 18 at this time, newly 18. And she had just turned 18. And the letter stated, don't look for me. So the search stopped. What more could they do? And Joseph's vile underground torture incestuous sex chamber would live on to see 24 years. I haven't spoke about uh, Jose, Joseph Fritzl's appearance yet. Well, he looks as evil as he sounds. In fact, an old tenant used to call him Satan behind his back. And, Elizabeth friend, and Elizabeth's friends used to refer to him as Dracula because he looks evil. He's always well-groomed, always hair combed back. His eyes are just cold as fucking ice and they resemble ice as well. They are cold. They are piercing and sadistic. His face is permanently stuck in a serious stern position. Even when he smiles, you can tell this guy is just not okay. He He's simply terrifying. If you want to see a picture of him, I did post one on the Hell No Instagram, but if you just Google Joseph Fritzl, you're going to find a ton of images. As evil as he looked, he was never suspected of anything sinister by police because his previous record for rape had been cleared. But people don't forget. So how this slipped by, I will never know. Joseph was seen in the community as the perfect Austrian 
citizen. He was married. He did very well for himself. He had a good career. He did well in real estate. And he his engineering career was you know, very, very successful. He was smart. He was a father. He had his faculties in order. But all of that was a mask. Underneath it all, he was a sick and vile human being capable of horrific acts. What was happening below the surface in those first few days when police were looking for Elizabeth? What was happening? What was going on down there? In the dungeon below, Elizabeth has woken up from her sedation to find herself locked away with no escape in sight. She frantically searched for a way out of the tomb. She scratched and clawed until her fucking fingers bled. She screamed and she cried, but not a single sound was heard on the surface. She was in hell and there was no way out. Joseph would come down to see her and she would beg and plead, but nothing could make him release her. He spent six years building this prison for her specifically and he built and he built it to last forever. There were hints that one day he knew he would be caught because in later interviews with former tenants, one of them says Joseph forbid anyone from taking pictures of the house or the garden. And when the tenant said, okay, but like, why is that even a rule you have, Joseph? And Joseph told the tenant that one day this home will make history. <laughs> what? How did Joseph see this scenario playing out in the long run? Nobody really knows. Did he plan to release the captors before he died what 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 was he planning on doing i i want to know that if i could ask joseph if i could ask joseph fritzel one question it would be what was your long-term fucking plan old man like you were gonna die were you just gonna leave them in there what was your plan i'll never know what it like okay so what if one day he got hit by a car or he had a heart attack and that dungeon was never discovered only he had the secret codes for those doors they were impenetrable i'm sure those thoughts crossed elizabeth's mind um especially when she had her children trapped inside with her at the beginning, there was enough oxygen in the dungeon for Elizabeth to breathe comfortably. And she would do things like, and this is just so heartbreaking, but also very smart of her. This is how you stay strong mentally. She would imagine she was hiking a mountain. She would envision the trail and she would pace up and down the dungeon envisioning mountains and lakes and that she was on the trail. She was envisioning she was free in the wild but after a while, there, was enough, there wasn't enough oxygen for that. And she would find breathing very difficult. Even oxygen was becoming a luxury she couldn't afford. Previously, Elizabeth had loved sports. She was physically fit. And she also like fell into this general standard of beauty. But eventually, Joseph stole even that from her. Joseph stocked her food supplies with cheap nasty food that didn't have enough nutrients and she suffered from this greatly her teeth started to fall out her skin turned a shade of yellow she was provided with no fresh vegetables or fruit only frozen vegetables in the deep freeze and things like cheap meat cuts and frozen pizzas and she would just 
long for her mother's cooking, which was so famous at their holiday park and in their home, but he never brought her any of that. I don't know if it was because the family would have noticed or this was a form of punishment he was using. Joseph would drive to another town to buy supplies for the dungeon and he would incinerate all the garbage. Yeah, he built an incinerator and what he couldn't incinerate, he would take out of there at nighttime. He was spending a lot of time covering up his secrets. He went to great lengths to conceal everything and was even caught stealing food from his tenant's private apartments like milk and sausages. He would ensure there was enough food for weeks sometimes and then he would go on vacation or just leave for a while, just leave for work, go on vacation, go to the holiday park, go wherever and he would leave Elizabeth entombed not knowing what was happening or if he would ever come back to restock and I'm sure he would say if you don't do this I'm never going to open these fucking doors again and how scary is that? It's unclear the first time Joseph forced himself upon Elizabeth in the dungeon. He had been doing that for many years previously. So why would he stop for a while when he had full control? I I don't know. He seemed to eventually make a schedule though. And every three days he would open all eight doors to hell and rape Elizabeth. And every three days he would emerge from the tomb to put his mask back on in place and carry on like an upstanding citizen. During this time, he spent down in that moldy, humid hole. He would bring news and stories and even fucking photos from his vacations to Elizabeth, which I'm sure he did as some form of sadistic punishment. It was the only news she could get from the outside world until he started bringing her stuff like a TV, a space heater, Uh, And slowly, little by little, giving her these luxuries. And to me, this sounds more like mental warfare. Because the one who gives can take. It's just another form of control and in no way shows compassion. He would even go down there and have a beer in front of her and talk about how cozy the dungeon was. I don't, he didn't call it a dungeon. I think he called it a cellar. This sick son of a bitch was proud of what he had done and what he's doing and what he's built and how he's doing it. Five years into captivity, Elizabeth became pregnant with her father's child. Joseph refused her any medical attention, no prenatal vitamins, nothing, and made her give birth alone in the dark on the dungeon floor. This alone could have killed her, but she survived. This baby was the first of seven children to be born in the dungeon. In 1988, that was the year baby Kirsten was born. This is where I'm going to end this week's episode. Uh, Part two will be up before Friday, uh, hopefully. Um, This case, it's just, it's, it's truly shocking, but know that Elizabeth does escape. And I will talk more in depth about that and all the years she spent raising children in that windowless, airless prison. Please share, rate, and review Hell No on whatever platform you are listening on, if that is an option. Uh, for you on that and uh, please follow the hell no true crime podcast on instagram for updates and photos uh, pertaining to cases and episodes 
Uh, yeah, so thanks for listening and see you in part two. Bye for now.